So all this month, I'm going to be talking about the Four Agreements. How many of you are familiar already with Domingo Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements? It's an amazing book. I first read it in the early 90s. Um, and uh, had the privilege at the time of being in Don Miguel Ruiz's presence shortly after I read the book and being able to ask him questions about it. It was pretty awesome. The book first, before I start with what the first agreement is, this is really four agreements. If you do these four things, you will change your life. It is guaranteed. I know this. I've read the book many, many, many times. And my life has changed to the degree that I remember and practice these agreements. And I forget because I'm human. And that's why I like to, at least every couple of years, bring this back up, at least if, if not to you, to myself, but it felt like a really good time to bring it up to all of you. So the idea behind this is that the world is, he calls a dream or an illusion. It is some, what we see out here is a construct, in other words. And the reason that we all can work together in this world is we've agreed on certain things. I mean, we agree that that's a pew. We agree that this is a microphone. We agree, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing I see when I look at this, but we've agreed that when we look at that, that's what, it's, that's what it is, that's what we call it. We've agreed on language, we've agreed on a lot of things. And that helps us function in the outside world. But here's the thing. The agreements that we use in our daily lives were not agreements that we consciously agreed to. They were handed down to us. The agreement of um, we're, it's perpetuated from birth. Our parents teach us. Our siblings teach us. Our teachers teach us. Other kids teach us. Church teaches us, and when we're very young, we are helpless against those. We agree because we don't know there's another choice, and then when we agree, we start to perpetuate those agreements, and language itself, as I said, is an agreement. We, language helps enculturate us. The way we use language enculturates us. The way that we use pronouns, the way, and we don't think to question it. Think about it, y'all. It's only in the last few years that we have started as a culture, not just as individuals, but as a culture, to start questioning the way we use pronouns. There's only two. There's seven and a half billion people in the world and billions and billions who have ever lived and yet of all of that there's only two possible pronouns. We agreed on that. We agreed in our language that that was the truth. If you look at Native Americans, um, many of them um, really not worshipped but um, honored what they called the two-natured the people who had both male and female, or the people who had one, had, had the body parts of one, but knew that they were the other. They were called the two-natured, and they were very revered in a lot of Native American cultures. But our language didn't teach us that. We were taught, here's the box, you better get into it. We were taught that in school, here's, you know, one and one is two. And most of the time, we, were, we had a teacher that taught us that there's only one way to learn this, and there's only one way to do it. And even if you know it without having to do it, you need to show your work so you can prove that you did it the way I taught you to do it, because otherwise, it's not valid. 
You ever had that happen to you? Yeah. We have been taught to get in these little boxes. These are our agreements. And what Domingo Ruiz says is we agree to things when they hook our attention. I like that word, hook. We get hooked. Our attention gets hooked. When we're children, we don't have much choice. Our attention is what comes to us. But as we grow older, we, certain things hook our attention. And when our attention is hooked and we store that information, then we have agreed to it. Then it starts working under the scenes, behind the scenes in our lives. Even their definitions of what it is to be human, of what it is to be a man or a woman, what it is to be good or bad. What it's, our whole belief system is based upon definitions that have been given to us by others. Now, many of us, as we grow up, we start to question some of those beliefs that were handed down. We start to feel like, that doesn't seem right. I didn't feel exactly right. And we start to question, but that takes an act of great courage to question what's been given to you, especially if it was not only given to you by your parents and your church and your TV and every magazine you pick up and your school and your peers and your colleagues, if they all agree, this is what pretty is. Then how much courage does it take to say, I'm beautiful and I look nothing like that? It takes a lot of courage. You see how insidious the things that we've agreed to are. And then he talks, he, he talks about this being the domestication of humans. This is the domestication of humans. We are now domesticated. And how do we domesticate? We get rewarded and punished. How many of you asked a question when you were a child, which seemed like a perfectly reasonable question, and were told, mm-mm. Not even that the answer was a bad thing, but the fact that you questioned was bad. I remember telling my mom, asking my mom when I was really little about, about the people who never knew Jesus. You know, like if you're on a faraway place and you never heard of Jesus, does that mean you go to hell? And my mom, who was a somewhat um, enlightened person, said, no, I don't believe that's true. I believe that God is big enough to make provision for those people who have never heard of Jesus. Somewhat enlightened. But if you hear about Jesus and then you reject Jesus, that's when you become responsible and you can go to hell. And I said at the age of four, then being a missionary is like the meanest thing you can do. I got pinched really hard for that. So that's what my mom did in church. She didn't slap you in church. She pinched you really, really hard. So, and I agreed as a child that when my mom pinched me in church, that I was to be completely quiet. I made that agreement at some point. I, no one ever told me what would happen if I made a noise. I just knew not to make a noise. And I remember many years later when my daughter was about that age, her sitting next to me in church and making a little bit of a noise, and there's no way I was going to pinch her, and I never had and never will. But I had this thought, 
if my mom was here, she, if this was me, she'd pinch me. And I had this, I started almost laughing in my seat because I thought if I pinched Aaron, she would say, why are you pinching me? <laughs> she would stand up and let it be known to the whole universe that she was being pinched. She made a different agreement. She made a different agreement. She didn't agree with what I agreed to. You see how powerful this is. We get domesticated by reward and punishment. Good girl, that was the right answer. Yes, you look so pretty in that pink dress. That's what you should wear. Don't wear that. You look like a, you look like a boy when you wear that. Don't wear those clothes. Ooh. It would take a lot of courage as a child to say, nuh-uh. Personally, I didn't have a lot of courage as a child. I... I wanted people to approve of me, and so I agreed very carefully with what I was told to agree with. And it was only in my deepest, deepest secret heart of hearts that I began to go, oh, it doesn't seem right. But I thought, it doesn't seem right, but I love these people, and they're supposed to know everything, so I'll figure it out. I'll find out somehow how it's right. <clears throat> Years later, I found out, no, it actually wasn't right. But it took me a while. And so he calls this the domestication of humans. And the really insidious thing is that after a while, we don't need anyone else to domesticate us. We do auto-domestication. Our mother is no longer there when we get dressed. We're standing in our own closet telling ourselves, I can't wear that. <laughs> right? We start doing it to ourselves. I can't say that. That's not nice. I can't do that. I can't love that person. I can't, whoo, once again, courage to go, wait a minute, I don't agree. And it has to be conscious because these things are so unconscious. The only way to change an agreement is to make the false agreement conscious, to bring it up into consciousness, and then to make a conscious decision to believe differently, and then to practice that, con that conscious decision until it becomes as much of a habit as the unconscious decision. And it's hard. And he calls these agreements that we have made unconsciously the book of law. Here are the laws. And we carry that book with us in every person that we meet, Every idea that we read, everything that we look at out in the world, we judge according to our book of law. Yep, she's too old to wear that short skirt. That's in my book of law. Um, he has no business doing that. I don't know. I can't think of ex any example that you come up with. We have a book of law that says whether it's okay or it's not okay. And mine is a little different from yours, but I bet they agree in a lot of places. And then we have expanded in different directions. Different cultures expand in different directions. So we have this book of law, and then we don't have to think anymore. We've already made the agreement, so all we have to do is just compare and go, yep, compare it to the book of law. Yep, that's right. That's, that's t totally wrong. Or yep, that's totally right. I'm doing the right thing. Doesn't seem right, but I'm doing the right thing according to the book of law. And we judge. And mostly, we judge ourselves very, very harshly. But also, the moment we start to judge ourselves, we pass that judgment on everybody else as well because we want them to live up to our book of law. Whew how complicated it can get. We punish and reward, and we create an inner victim. There's the part of us that says, you're not doing that right. 
And there's a part of us that goes, I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not right. I didn't do it right. Right? We create this division within ourselves. And this is our belief system. All these agreements that we have made become our belief system. And unfortunately, our belief system is mostly based on lies. Those lies based on fear. If it's different, it's not safe. If I do this, I go against everything I've heard and I'll be ostracized. I'll be not accepted. That's the worst thing that can happen to human beings is to be completely ostracized and isolated. That's how a lot of um, indigenous tribes kill somebody. They don't actually put them to death. They just make them invisible. Stop responding, stop looking at them, stop talking to them, not welcome them into the group. And people actually physically die from being emotionally ostracized. Think about that. And so we feel like there's a, there's a lot at stake here with our agreements. There's a lot at stake, and there is when we're children, but we get empowered as we grow up to make our new agreements. And we, when we break those agreements based on fear, and it's hard to do, but we must replace them. That makes it easier. You can't just break an agreement. You've got to replace it with something else. So when you come up against an agreement in yourself that is based on fear or what you suspect is a lie, then you can make a new agreement based on love. What would love do? What does love say about this? I'm going to put love in my book of law. And my judge is going to be a judge of love. Right? So the first agreement that Don Miguel Ruiz says, if you only ever do this, this one thing, it will change your whole life forever and ever and ever and ever. And that agreement is be impeccable with your word. Be impeccable with your word. We're going to break that down. The word is not just the words you speak, although it has a lot to do with words that you speak. Your word is your power to create. And in our mythology, it, there, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Or God said, let there be light, and saw that it was light. And it's not just in the Judeo-Christian. The word in many, many mythologies across the word is that creative power. And what we know is that what we speak on a consistent basis tends to come true. And it's not just what we speak with our mouths. It's what we speak in our minds. You use words against yourself all the time without ever opening your mouth. I know you do, because I do, and it turns out we're one. <laughs> we do this, we do this. And so this creative power, these thoughts, these actions, these dreams, these feelings, all, everything that is us manifests through our word. And so, we begin to express and communicate that word in whatever ways, whether it's spoken or not. We, we express and communicate and we create and we destroy. We have that power with our word. We have a power to create heaven in our lives. We have the power to create hell in our lives. And if you don't think the word is powerful, let me remind you of a man who had no power. I mean, nothing, no money no fame, no good looks, no heritage, no nothing, but through the power of his word created a war 
and a Holocaust that killed six million people, that we're still feeling the reverberations of generations later. All he did was talk. All he did was spread his poison through the word. And then other people agreed with that poison. Some because they were born into it and didn't know that there was another agreement to be made. And some because they saw that, well, if I make this agreement, there's something to be gained out of this. So yeah, I'm gonna agree with this. Agreements can be made and broken at any point, but if they're not conscious, it's very, very difficult to do anything dif different. So an agreement tends to be self-fulfilling. Once you agree that something is true, then everything you see looks like that, and everything you do helps create that, right? You ever feel like, oh man, this is a good one. I can easily play a B minor chord on the guitar. I do it at home all the time. It's not an easy chord to play, but I've been playing it for years. It's easy to do, it's not hard. And yet, there's a certain someone who was a teacher earlier in my life, it's someone I love and who loves me, and every time I'm playing a song in front of him, I cannot play a B minor chord. <laughs> what is that about? I think, he's judging me. I better play this chord good. But you never, play, you never play it exactly right. You've never played it well in front of him before. You go, ah, I missed it. <laughs> Happened again. You see how we, those things come true? Those things come true. And so um, when we are impeccable with our word, let's talk about what impeccable means. Impeccatus. Peccatus is, is the Latin for sin. Missing the mark, the Latin for sin, and M meaning without, without sin. Can your words be without sin? Wow. So let me define how he defines sin. It is anything you do, feel, believe, or say that goes against yourself. I'll sit up for a minute and take that in. The only sin you commit in this life is when you do feel, say, and think things that go against the precious, loving child of God, one with all, that you are. And so if you can learn to not do this, when you can learn to be impeccable, sinless with your word, then your life will change. Self-rejection, he says, is the greatest sin. It's the worst one. It's the worst one. And when, because when we reject ourselves, then we have a basis for rejecting others. And we're all rejecting, and that is all about judgment and blame. So we and he calls this emotional poison. As soon as you reject yourself, you are in injecting yourself with emotional poison. When you reject another through your thoughts, words, deeds, you inject emotional poison into them. That's what Hitler did. He, in a room, convinced himself that he deserved more than what, that he'd gotten a bum deal and that he should be, and you know, here's the deal. People who are arrogant, who say, I'm better than everybody else, that never comes from a place of thinking I'm better than everybody else. That always comes from a place of thinking I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm better always comes from I'm not enough. Because the truth is none of us is better, but none of us is worse either. 
we're all on equal ground, but if you feel like you've been unequal, then you try to tip the scales to make it more than equal. That's just what it does. So he spread this emotional poison in his own mind for whatever reason, I don't know. And then he went out and set out to spread that emotional poison in the world and he did a pretty scarily good job of it. So that means we're using, when we spread emotional poison, we're using our energy toward hell. We're using our energy toward destruction. And so being impeccable with our word means we start to use our energy for love. Ah, what if that was your only task today? Pay attention to what I'm thinking. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Pay attention to what I'm doing and ask myself, is this the loving thing? First, is it loving toward myself? Because if you don't get how to be loving toward yourself, you'll never be able to be truly loving toward other people. You'll just be making bargains. I'm going to love them, and then they're going to owe me something, and yeah, that's not... We've made an agreement somehow that when we do something, somebody owes us something back. That's what we call justice, right? You've learned that from childhood. Is that true? That they're supposed to be tit for tat always? That if you give something, something is owed you back? We agreed on that, though, hugely. Culturally, we agreed on that. What if we just say... How can I love myself? Is what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, loving toward myself? And if not, how can I make it so? Then we'll reach a point where we are giving freely because we have nothing to defend. We have no bargains that we're trying to fulfill. We have no scale that we're trying to balance. So agreements... Um, sins, hurt, blame, reject, find fault, destroy. Anger, jealousy, envy, hate. Those are things that we do to ourselves. Yes, we might point them at other people, but if you are holding poison in your hand to give to someone else, you are absorbing it into your own bloodstream. It's not possible for the poison to not affect you first and most. So the only way to break it is a new agreement based on truth. And he talks specifically about gossip being a sin. That gossip, talking about other people, talking to someone about someone else, is usually a way that we're trying to even some score in our mind, trying to make a judgment, trying to um, pass along information that will sway the person we're talking to to think the way we think about the person that we're talking about. Ooh, sounds like emotional poison to me. It's like a virus. He says gossip is like a, like a computer virus that's invaded your system, and now it starts to color everything that you do. Case building, trying to bring someone else over to your point of view, or searching for validation. Tell me I'm right. I need you to tell me that I'm right. Is he a, is he a jerk? Am I right about that? Let me tell you what he did. And then you tell me I'm right, and then I can feel good about calling him a jerk. Feeling good about calling somebody a jerk is not the same as feeling good. Feeling good is knowing who you are deeply, at a deep level, and loving that, and being just okay with that all the time. 
He also says, here's the deal. Those negative stuff, it's out there all the time. People are trying to get you to agree with their negativity. And the only way that we agree with negative things is if our mind is fertile to receive negative things. If we're looking for justification, if we're looking for somebody to blame, if we're looking for why it's wrong and who's the one that did it. The difference is when we make our minds fertile for love. What if we go out into the world looking for love, looking for proof of love, starting to see what people do as acts of love, or as the Course in Miracles says, or calls for love. And I believe that with my whole heart, that people who are not giving you love are shouting, screaming, crying, begging for love in themselves. And so our response to a call for love needs to be love. But here's the deal. The other way works too. When we're not being good, it's because we don't feel loved enough. So how can we start feeling loved enough so that we're not calling for love from other people by spreading poison on them? We love ourselves. We start right at home. I love you just as you are. I love you just as you are. Is that one of the hardest things you can say to yourself? I love you just as you are, but I'd really prefer it if you lost about 15 pounds and, you know, stop being such a jerk to your husband and not that y'all do that. Yeah. So the only way to break a false agreement is to make a new agreement based on truth. And the only way to enculturate that into yourself, to auto-domesticate yourself into truth, into love, into kindness, is to practice it over and over again, is to let your attention be hooked by love, to store the information of love, and then to practice that love over and over again until it becomes your nature. So we think about what kind, we want to prepare our minds to receive the seeds of love, then we look for it, we pray for it. We ask to see it in the world. We pray for opportunities to give love. Ooh, what if you're praying every day for an opportunity to give love, and then all you meet is a bunch of jerks all day long? <laughs> That's an answer to your prayer because you have asked to have opportunities to give love. What if you see every jerk that comes your way as not a jerk, but someone who is allowing you to practice your God-given right to give love? Yeah, really, really. And it's hard, and it's hard because those agreements are so strong. We've all agreed on what it means to be a jerk. I mean, yours might be a little different from me, but we, we all have ideas in our minds that are very well set. This is what a jerk does. This is what a nice person does. Now, we know when we're calling that person a jerk, what we're aware of, maybe not consciously, is that we do that stuff too. <laughs> so there's no way to call another person a jerk without also calling ourselves a jerk. And when we're calling ourselves jerks, then how are we going to ever get out of that vicious circle, that vicious, vicious cycle? And so we begin to love. And it doesn't really matter where you start. Love somebody that seems unlovable that will make it easier for you to begin to love yourself. Love yourself even when you're feeling unlovable that will make you be able to give love other places. 
Sometimes it's easier to give love to another than it is to ourselves. Start wherever you are, I don't care. But I think praying for an opportunity to give and receive love, to make that, if that's your one prayer of the day, I desire opportunities all through the day to give and receive love. That's what I want more than anything, and then I look for it. I let my attention be hooked by that. I look for it. Do it today. Do it when you go to the grocery store. Do it when you go home with your partner. Do it when your neighbor's dog poops on your lawn. Whatever is happening, just practice that one little thing and see what happens. Because the truth is, when you stop telling yourself the lie, that you're not good, that you're not loved, that you're not lovable, that you're not loving, indeed that you are not love in expression. And that's what we believe here. You are God's love expressed as a human being on this planet right now. You are. I am. And I cripple myself by doing weird things with that. But it doesn't change the truth of who I am inside. So really what I'm praying for is to be able to acknowledge the truth that's already there. It's already there. And so I ask you today, try it. Pay attention to what you've agreed with. If it doesn't feel like love to you, then consciously make a different agreement and begin to speak and act and think from that agreement, that new agreement, be impeccable. Make a new life for yourself. You can do it today. I love you. Take those ideas into meditation for a moment. And you know, it feels overwhelming. Be impeccable with your word all the time, everywhere. You only have to break one little agreement at a time. One agreement at a time. The next judgmental thought. Break that agreement and make an agreement to love. So in this moment, if you would just relax your body. Make yourself comfortable where you are. And say to yourself, in your mind right now, you are 100% lovable. And I love you. in your body, pay attention to what happens in your heart center and in your mind when you say that. Is there resistance? If there is, you can say, I feel that resistance 
I know there are reasons and you don't have to hold on to them. Because I know something that's true. created by love in love for the purpose of loving and being love in expression in this world It's too hard. Maybe it says it's impossible. Maybe it says, oh, but you don't understand. I'm worse than you think. You don't have to argue. You just say, mm-mm. Not true, and I'm learning to believe what is true, and what is true is love. that be to open my mind and heart to allow the love that I am to surface through whatever layers may have been put on it through my life by my culture, my religion, my parents, myself, my family my culture. I'm willing to see all of those as something that somebody made up and gave to me, and I don't have to abide by them. I don't have to wait until I fit into any one's box in order to be worthy of love. As a matter of fact, I break out of that box and I say, never do I have to be in a box again. start by giving myself the love that I'm trying to manipulate other people into giving me. And I never have to beg for love again because all I have to do is give it. I never have to search for love again because I am it. It is here with me. My only 
only task is to remember it. And I remember it by bringing it to my attention over and over and over again when anything that feels unlike it starts to penetrate my consciousness, I can say, oops, I almost forgot I was loved there for a minute. <sighs> what a relief. I'm love. I don't have to feel that way. I don't have to say that thing. I don't have to do that thing. I can say words of truth, words of health, words of wholeness, words of encouragement, words of kindness. And when I fail, I don't have to punish myself. I get to say, oops, next. Next opportunity. Next moment. Next word. Next thought. Next action. Let it be love. the love that I am. I not only am living joyfully, but I am giving other people permission, an example, a new agreement to see in motion so that they may see and express the love that they are. And all I have to give up is blame and self-justification. All I have to give up is creating hell for myself to live in. When we bring that into consciousness, that seems like a pretty good choice. Yeah, I don't want to live in hell anymore. No more hell. Let's do heaven today. Let's look for it. Let's affirm it. Let's speak it. Let's notice it. Let's honor it. Let's celebrate it. And I have the choice. The choice is mine to make. I choose love. And so it is. Amen.